Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. And now, here is Walter Bingham. Hello and welcome to the program for November 15, 2022, or the 21st of Cheshman 5783 in the Hebrew calendar. I am Walter Bingham. When we started Israel News Talk Radio, this was a live call-in show. But times have changed and podcast is the modern format that enables you to hear us on demand. Following the completion of his negotiations with all the party delegations, President Herzog has announced that he will assign the task of forming a government to Benjamin Netanyahu. And that ceremony took place last Sunday at the President's residence. The American midterm elections have passed, most of the results have been declared, and the red wave turned out to be a trickle. Far be it from me to criticize or advise the American voters about their choice of Congress members or governors. They have voted and democratically selected their politicians. But as an outsider looking in, I'm entitled to wonder about the issues that move their decisions. They range from cost of living and children's education to crime, border security and abortion. The list of priorities was by no means equal across the country. Apart from geographical variations, there was a marked difference between Democrat and Republican voters. Anyone who observes the American scene knows that there is an economic crisis that is affecting a considerable segment of their population to the extent that they need to rely on handouts from food banks to survive and that they live from one paycheck to the next, sometimes skipping a meal to make it last. Whilst I refrain from apportioning blame for this intolerable situation, it is puzzling that the issue on which the Democrat Party's canvassing was concentrated to a large extent was abortion, a woman's right to choose. Yes, abortion is a much-discussed subject in the U.S. since the Supreme Court overturned the 1973 judgment in the case of Roe v. Wade, which ruled that the Constitution of the United States conferred the right to have an abortion. The Democrats' arguments also presented it as an economic factor of the pregnant woman, as if the child is just a number. But isn't the cost of living, rising crime, and the education of the children, the country's future, the fundamental basis for a healthy nation? Well, you know what they say, as you make your bed, so you sleep in it. Let's hope that after this election, Americans can sleep a little sounder. There is one more thing about the American election that I cannot understand. If the 8th of November was voting day, how is it possible for local citizens to vote weeks before? Because it means that they cannot hear all the candidates' arguments. Perhaps someone can explain that to me. The best example was the Senate race in Pennsylvania, 
where the not-so-articulate speaker, the Democrat candidate Fetterman, refused to debate with his Republican opponent until one week before the election, in the knowledge that Democrat voters usually vote early and so are unable to assess his faltering style. But that's not all. It's now three days after the election, but the final result is still not known. I believe that many races have yet to be declared. In the whole civilized world, election results are known during the night of election day or latest in the morning. But Nevada was still counting as I prepare this program. They can fly to the moon but are unable to count votes. The world is astounded. The U.S. would do well to have a unified voting system with separate, perhaps color-coded, ballot papers for each of their elections, governor, senate and house. In the meantime, the self-appointed leader of the free world is in limbo, uncertain of which party will head the senate. With so many problems in Europe, they too are obsessed with matters that should be on the back burner, if not shelved altogether. One subject that keeps appearing is Shechita, Jewish ritual slaughter, already banned in some countries, and this week it is Finland's turn to discuss it. Their annual welfare bill would outlaw all forms of slaughter that do not require the animal to be mechanically stunned first. With a worldwide inflation, it seems that animals are for the Finns a higher priority than the welfare of their people. The chair of the British All-Party Parliamentary Groups, APPG, Jim Shannon, MP, said... The creeping intolerance of religious communities across Europe is of great concern. We must and will stand together to defend religious practice, including for Jews and Muslims, in the face of growing attacks on religious slaughter. The former Archbishop of Canterbury, Dr. Rowan Williams, once said, Quote, Those who wax eloquent about the ethical problems of Shechita would do better to focus on the barbarity of industrialized farming and mechanized slaughter, which I suspect Jesus might have something to say about, especially as he commends the Jewish audience for rescuing trapped animals on Shabbat. End of quote. The APPG joined the Finnish Jewish and Muslim communities the Conference of European Rabbis and the World Jewish Congress in asking for an amendment to the bill that would exempt religious practices. Before President Herzog has even appointed anyone to try and form the next government, when echoes from all corners of Europe and America reverberated about the composition of our cabinet, foreign politicians have already made up their mind as to whom the not-yet-designated Prime Minister will invite into the government. My good acquaintance, the U.S. Ambassador to Israel, Thomas Knights, has strongly advised against any attempt of annexation and said, I will be pushing back aggressively at things that we disagree with.
That's what American values are all about. My dear friend, we are in Israel, and here it's all about Jewish values. I've said it before, and I repeat the message to our foreign allies and foes alike. Mind your own business. To my best knowledge and belief, we have not interfered in your choice of ministers before the event. It's in my view arrogant to tell our prospective Prime Minister overtly whom he shall or shall not include in the coalition government. It is perfectly normal to comment on foreign governments after it has been formed, but never to offer advice to their head of state. I've often tried to find rapport with some of the advocacy of the Israel Democracy Institute and thought that an op-ed in the Jerusalem Post headlined The End of the Masquerade by one of their research assistants, Eliyahu Berkowitz, would finally do the trick. He discussed the anomaly of the ultra-Orthodox party's policy to accept deputy minister posts but exercising the power of the minister, as was the case with Jakob Litzman in the past. In this case, the High Court ruled this position as unconstitutional and Litzman took full ministership. Berkowitz claims that their spiritual head, 99-year-old Rabbi Gershon Edelstein, ruled that it is forbidden to take part in a secular Zionist regime and serve in a government that does not observe Torah law. According to Berkowitz, Edelstein's pragmatic argument is, however, that for political parties to contest Knesset elections is a matter of self-defense to prevent the passage of laws that would undermine the religious character of the state. He has a point, but having said this, I must point out that the aggressive tone of the article and accusatory terms like ultra-Orthodox gluttony for jobs and snatched up the fat jobs that are available in the repugnant Zionist institution greatly detract from the merit of the argument. Berkowitz calls it, I quote, a fictional arrangement and accuses the ultra-Orthodox of wanting to influence Israeli society and enjoy the delights of power and authority on the one hand without bearing responsibility for the state and its future on the other. That latter statement is, of course, utter nonsense and charged with hate. The fact is that most of the ultra-Orthodox in common with all the Torah-observant communities has at its main aim, its charter, if you like, to care for the future of the Jewish state here in our ancient homeland, contrary to the seculars, who would have been equally happy to have a state in Uganda, Madagascar or Birobidjan, as history relates, and that only the discomfort of European antisemitism contributed to their care for Israel. This week, on the 9th and 10th of November, the Jewish world commemorated 84 years since Kristallnacht, the night of the broken glass, the worst anti-Jewish Nazi pogrom and recognized as the beginning of the Holocaust. Particularly all over Europe, Jewish communities have organized events at which Holocaust survivors 
once again warned against the creeping antisemitism that resembles the early 1930s. In Jerusalem, the organization March of the Living held a moving remembrance meeting outside the old city's Jaffa Gate, and the motto there was, Let there be light, because life for Jews in the diaspora is getting darker. Several buildings were illuminated and homes lit up their rooms through the night. Two survivors were being honored at the ceremony and their pictures and messages were projected onto the wall of the old city. One was your host. It was an emotional event. Of course, also this week, the United States had their own memories of the fateful 9-11, 21 years ago, when 19 Al-Qaeda terrorists hijacked four commercial passenger planes in the United States and carried out suicide attacks. Two planes were flown into the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center in New York, causing both towers to collapse. A third plane hit the Pentagon in Arlington, Virginia, just outside Washington, and the fourth plane, intended for the White House, crashed in a field in Shanksville. These terrorist attacks cost the lives of 2,977 innocent victims, including firemen who came to the rescue of the trapped. We remember them. It is important to stress that 15 of the 19 attackers were Saudi Arabians from prosperous families and so were two from the Arab Emirates. One was Lebanese and the other an Egyptian. This contradicts the fallacious argument that it is poverty that fuels terrorism. The country in which active antisemitism was rekindled in the last century is Germany. Successive governments have publicly accepted guilt for the horrific actions of the Nazi regime. They are the only country who almost immediately after the war began to pay restitution to Jews who suffered humiliation, pain and confiscation of possessions and property. Unfortunately, today their governments are not doing enough to eradicate the re-emergence of Jew hatred manifested by demonstrations and attacks on Jews and Jewish institutions. Most are cloaked in terms of anti-Zionism. It has gone so far that respected German NGOs with representation in foreign countries are staging events with anti-Semitic themes. The latest was to be held three days ago on the 9th of November in Israel on the day when Jews commemorated the 84th anniversary of Kristallnacht, the horrific program that started the Holocaust. The Israel chapter of the German Rosa Luxemburg Foundation, named after the revolutionary socialist and Marxist philosopher, advertised an event entitled understanding the other side's pain, to compare what Arabs call the Nakba, the catastrophe of the creation of the State of Israel, with the Holocaust. It was to take place in Jerusalem at the premises of the German literary NGO, the Goethe Institute. 
There was outrage expressed from many quarters, and I immediately wrote the following letter to the German embassy in Tel Aviv. I read with horror of the announcement. It is imperative that the ambassador intervenes to stop this event. If that is not possible, then I hope he will issue an official statement that the German government condemns such a comparison and disassociates itself and the German people from it. Rabbi Abraham Cooper, the Associated Dean and Director of Global Social Action at SWC, the Simon Wiesenthal Center, issued a statement condemning the planned event. And I quote, It is despicable that any German would utter Shoah and Nakba in the same breath. There is nothing wrong with exploring the feelings of Palestinians, but to link the Palestinian-Israel conflict in any way to Nazi Germany's final solution that murdered 6 million innocent Jews, among them 1.5 million Jewish children, is a monstrous insult to the victims of the Shoah, to the Jewish state of Israel, and to survivors of the Shoah, and to historic truth. Convening such a discussion in Israel on the anniversary of Kristallnacht by the foundation of a left-wing German political party at the respected Goethe Institute is an odious provocation. The SWC calls on the Goethe Institute to cancel its hosting of the event and urges Israeli Prime Minister Lapid to demand that this event be cancelled. Under pressure, the Rosa Luxemburg Foundation has agreed to postpone their event until after Kristallnacht. That does, of course, neither alter the title or purpose of it, nor does it absolve the Goethe Institute from supporting anti-Israel propaganda. But then it seems that they also sell their principles for money. This anti-Semitic outrage must be cancelled. The German restaurant chain KFC, Kentucky Fried Chicken, sent out notices to their fans to treat themselves to their products on the, quote, anniversary of Reichskristallnacht, another sign of raging anti-Semitism in Germany. On the other hand, there are voices in Germany, particularly among school teachers, who believe that Kristallnacht is no longer an adequate enough term to describe that event. They prefer to teach their children about the night of horror. I subscribe to that. Just as I'm still preparing the program, I have a message to say that as a result of a conversation between the chairman of Yad Vashem, Danny Dayan, with the Secretary-General of the Worldwide Goethe Institute, Mr. Johannes Ebert, the event which was postponed until Sunday is now cancelled. Whilst we all welcome this decision, it is significant that it took many influential voices and discussions at the highest level for the Goethe Institute to withdraw as a venue. It remains to be seen 
whether the Rosa Luxemburg organization will also withdraw that subject from its discussion program. The COP27 conference of environmentalists, industrialists and other experts took place this year at the Egyptian resort of Sharm el-Sheikh. They met to discuss ways of how to save the world from the phenomenon of global warming and its consequences. The participants of all represented nations were headed by their prime ministers or presidents. Israel's delegation was led by President Isaac Herzog, who is greatly concerned with the environment, issues that affect every country in the world. During the usual photo call of heads of state, the president turned to leaders standing next to him and introduced himself as Manus Dictate. Our president also approached the Prime Minister of Tunisia and Prime Minister of Lebanon, who were standing nearby. When they introduced themselves to each other, it was understood among them that they could not speak. That was the entire conversation between the three leaders. The Tunisian media, who saw the pictures of that meeting, went berserk and accused their prime minister of treason. Considering that we are practically neighbors and came together to improve the climate of the Middle East and that politics take preference to the health of their population, it is difficult to hold out hope for inclusion of Tunisia in the Abraham Accord. Peaceful economic cooperation of all Middle Eastern countries could rival the European Union. May it be the will of God that Israel will soon play the leading role in a peaceful Middle East. Even the most accomplished diplomats are not smart enough to ensure that the microphones are switched off before they make off-the-cuff remarks. Hot mics often end the career. Hopefully not this time. After President Herzog had the customary consultation with the representatives of the Shash party about their choice of prime minister, the video was switched off, but the mic remained live, and he was heard saying, There is one issue I didn't talk about, because I don't want to shame anyone. You're going to have a problem with the Temple Mount. That's a critical issue. He was referring, as his office later confirmed, to the Otsma Yehudit party's Itamar Ben-Gvir. Herzog continued, You have a partner the whole world is anxious about. Between us, this isn't for publication. I don't want to cause any trouble. One respected journalist speculated that this faux pas may have been intentional. I doubt it. I can understand that the Arab parties are hesitant to recommend anyone to form a government. After all, they'd be happy to see Israel collapse. But the Israel is our home party, headed by the current finance minister, Victor Lieberman, took the same decision when their turn came with the president. That's a cowardly attitude and dishonest to their voters. It's a classic example of my career before my country. Get it? This left-wing scoundrel does not want to spoil his chances with Netanyahu, but at the same time ensure his opportunity in case Netanyahu fails and someone else gets the chance. 
I wonder how his voters feel about the Janus-faced cheat they voted for. Finally, it has just been announced that Biden's estimated 400 billion giveaway, the forgiveness plan, the cancellation of the debt for student loans, has been ruled unconstitutional by a federal judge. But of course, Biden doesn't care. The election is now over. And the cheating has had its effect. This story is continuing. That's all for today. I look forward to many more shows. And until the next one, this is Walter Bingham wishing you a week of good health and happiness. And please make it a happy week for your elderly neighbor by dropping in for a chat. Believe me, you will be very welcome. Goodbye. Where can you get the inside news on Israel? At Israel News Talk Radio, we're dedicated to sharing Israel's inside story with the world by providing our listeners with news on Israeli politics, current affairs, and Israeli Jewish culture. The Israel News Talk Radio homepage also provides you, the listener, with useful information at your fingertips. With scrolling news headlines, weather, currency exchange, Shabbat candle lighting times, and so much more. Our radio programming is always accessible and on demand. We operate absolutely free of charge for everyone, everywhere. If you love what we do, partner with us now by becoming an Israel News Talk Radio supporter. With your support, you'll be inscribed on our Israel News Talk Radio Wall of Fame. There's nothing like us in the world. Be part of something great. Israel News Talk Radio. Straight talk from Israel. Howdy, this is Rita from League City, Texas, now living in Israel. And though my heart may have belonged to Texas, it now belongs to Israel and all the fantastic show hosts at Israel News Talk Radio. Hi, this is Michael Solomon from Kiryat Arba, Israel. And why do I love listening to Israel News Talk Radio? Because I love listening to the interesting interviews they do and their news reporting that most other media sources don't cover. Hey, this is Nicole Eko from Malmo, Sweden. It gets pretty cold here in Sweden, so I love cuddling up with a warm cup of tea while I listen to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, everybody, this is Frank Norris from Tennessee. Me and my dog Buster really love listening to Israel News Talk Radio. <laughs> You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio.